Podcast, a series of podcasts from the Stevens and Bolton commercial team designed to help you with your improvement of terms, conditions, master services agreement and outsourcing arrangements. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Catherine Penny, a partner in our dispute resolution team, together with James Everson, a managing associate who works uh, predominantly on dispute type of litigation. Um, so welcome both. Hi, Beverly. Thanks very much for having us. Hi. Yes, thank you for having us. Well, um, today our exciting topic, and actually one that is really relevant these days, are Q&A on jurisdiction clauses in standard terms and contracts. So I'm going to start first of all with you, Catherine, if it's okay, and ask what is jurisdiction, because it's not always known to most. No, that's true. That's true. Well, thanks. Um, thanks for an easy one first. Uh, easy one for, for us anyway, because it's our bread and butter, really. And the idea of jurisdiction is that if you fall out with the other party to the contract, the jurisdiction is the term for who's going to decide on any dispute that you have that crop up after that contract or relationship more generally. And it could be, for example, the courts in a particular country, or it could be an arbitral tribunal, or it could be adjudication, to name a few um, potential jurisdictions. And what it's not is applicable law, which many uh, lawyers um, still confuse um, the idea of jurisdiction versus applicable law. And applicable law is the law of the country that will apply to the contract. And you should ideally spell out the applicable law in your contract as well as the jurisdiction. Understood. And um, so that's because sometimes you see the governing law of the contract together with the jurisdiction in one clause. And so they are conflagrated, but actually you can have a separate governing law and a separate jurisdiction clause understood. So, James, um, just really a question to you. Uh, why is the jurisdiction clause just quite so important in commercial contracts? Well, most commercial contracts contain a clause. It's normally towards the end of the document that deals with jurisdiction. But sometimes they can be overlooked. Um, they're often thought of as, as being boilerplate and parties will give more attention to the, to the meat of the contract setting out the, the commercial deal that they've reached. Um, however, if there's a lack of certainty in the drafting of the jurisdiction clause, it can lead to protracted argument. And that's something that me and Catherine as litigators see all too often. Um, so a well-drafted clause should set out in clear terms what process the dispute between the contracting parties is to follow. It should make sure that the process is suited to the party's particular needs, and, and we'll come on to that in a minute. Um, on the other hand, a poorly drafted clause may leave open how and where a dispute process is to be conducted, uh, and that's where difficulties can arise. So really, it's about having an appropriate mechanism to decide on disputes to, to give the parties commercial certainty and predictability in the event that something goes wrong. Thank you. Um, Catherine, uh, I think I'm back to you now. What factors would you consider when drafting a jurisdiction clause? I mean, we get to draft them all the time, but often we'll come to you about whether or not the jurisdiction clause will, will impact on enforcement. But first of all, let's look at what's in the drafting. So from, from the drafter's side, you want to think about where you want your dispute to be heard. Is it going to be litigation in the courts or arbitration or adjudication, for example? But the, the second thing, I think, is, as you say, and which feeds into the first, is enforcement. Where are the other side's assets? 
if they're overseas, how are you going to be able to enforce um, a judgment of the court or an arbitral tribunal? And feeding into that as well, you need to have some thought to um, a bit of crystal ball gazing. But what are you going to be arguing about? If you're going to be arguing about things that are very confidential, then that might see you towards arbitration. If it's more likely to be a, a payment process, which is often um, crops up, for example, in construction contracts or sometimes technology contracts, then an adjudication process might be more suitable. If you are minded to go down the arbitration route, then you need to think about which rules apply and where. We talk about arbitral institutions and they have their rules, so LCIA, ICC, Chartered Institute of Arbitrators, for example. And also in terms of the where, we talk about the seat or the legal place um, of the arbitration. And so if you're thinking you're not going to do arbitration, you're going to go down the court route, then you need to think about which country's courts you want to apply. It might sound obvious, but the courts in different countries and different jurisdictions are different um, and they have different varying um, global reputations. So uh, the courts in England and Wales have a good reputation around the world as being fair and predictable. Um, and another thing you need to think about is whether you want the courts to have exclusive uh, jurisdiction or non-exclusive jurisdiction. Um, so there's there's a lot to, to get your head around, really. Um, and it's also worth bearing in mind that it's not just the jurisdiction clause itself, but there's bits that go around that. For example, if you have got a, an overseas party, think about how you're going to serve formal documents on them. You might want to get them to give a, um, a UK service address, for example, because that's often a, um, a difficulty if you're trying to bring court proceedings against an overseas party, for example. Understood. And um, it's interesting, I was drafting an agreement the other day where we tried to insert a UK uh, location for serving proceedings, and actually that was batted out because they didn't have a UK location. So... You can try as much as you like sometimes <laughs> as a lawyer, but you might not win the commercial point. So it's um, true. true. James, a question for you. Um, well, quite a difficult question, I suspect. But which jurisdiction would you recommend? Well, I think the answer to that, and I'm going to sit on the fence with this one, is that it depends. Um, it really, it, it's it, it's going to be, you've got to look at the commercial circumstances of the particular um, contract in question. Um, if it's a contract between two um, English-based companies who have assets in England, then jurisdiction here, England and Wales, is going to make sense. Um, unless perhaps you want the flexibility or, or confidentiality of, um, of an arbitration. Um, if there's an international element to, to the contract, then arbitration will often be a, a good way forward, given the relative ease of enforceability of an arbitral award in, in other jurisdictions uh, compared with a, a court judgment. So, and, and often overseas counterparties are happy to agree to arbitration for, for that very reason. Understood. So though the $64 million question, <laughs> what if a contract has been drafted, God forbid, that does not contain a jurisdiction clause and a dispute arises? Catherine, that's one for you, I think. <laughs> well, I'll start it off and James can do the, do the hard okay. bit at the end. Um, so... Thankfully, it is relatively uncommon to find contracts that don't have a, a jurisdiction clause. But but if it doesn't, then the private international law sort of steps in and there is a, um, a complex regime that sets out 
which laws and which jurisdiction will apply. Um, and this regime has been made all the more complicated by the UK leaving leaving the EU, unfortunately. Um, so, but we're still going to split um, considering this issue into what the position is with an EU um, counterparty and then with a rest of world counterparty. Um, and before, so looking at Europe first, before we left Europe, um, we were signed up to European legislation, which set out this regime that basically said a defendant is entitled to be sued in their home jurisdiction, in their home courts. Um, but there were certain special jurisdiction carve outs to this rule. And one of those was that for a contract issue, the claimant could instead sue the defendant in the courts where the contract was performed. And that wasn't always the same as the defendant's home court. Um, and after um, Brexit, um, we're in a different situation uh, because if, well, if we're allowed to rejoin the Lugano Convention in our own right, then it'll effectively be the same situation. But so far, um, the EU has said, uh, no, uh, we're not going to let the UK back into that party. So the common law rules are applying in the meantime. And the courts assess various matters, including whether the parties have agreed on a choice of applicable law. So if you put your applicable law in, but forget the jurisdiction, then the courts will have an eye on that. Um, and also where most of the contractual obligations have been performed, that will also be a relevant consideration and where the breach occurred, uh, for example. So. I mean, it's not a straightforward question. That's why there's not a, a straightforward answer, I'm afraid, uh, even as far as Europe is concerned. So that's the European situation. Uh, James, could you have a go at um, setting out what the position is as far as the rest of the world is concerned? Uh, yes, sure. So when there's no jurisdiction clause in a contract with a party that, that's based outside of the EU, then the national courts will apply their own rules to determine whether they have jurisdiction. And in England, again, similarly to what you've been describing post-Brexit post um, for the EU, it involves considering where the parties are, what the, what the dispute's about, any governing law choice, uh, where the performance of the contract's taken place, uh, and also, in its simplest terms, whether it makes sense for the dispute to be dealt with in England. So I think the message for today is that it can be complicated and will depend on the particular circumstances of the case. Um, and the best way to avoid satellite disputes about jurisdiction is to include a well-drafted jurisdiction clause in your agreement. Although I would say we do love a, a dispute about which jurisdiction applies. Clients generally less so, have less fun yeah. with that sort of an Quite. argument. Understood, understood, yeah. So now we are, um, I appreciate Brexit hasn't helped with the answer to that question. So um, now we are a few years after Brexit. Would you still recommend those who are looking at their T's and C's to revise the jurisdiction clauses? Uh, yes, absolutely. It really is worth looking at the jurisdiction clause in, in your agreement to make sure that it matches the, the business's needs. Um, so in an EU context, if there's an exclusive jurisdiction clause naming an EU country, then the 2005 Hague Convention on Choice of Court Agreements is likely to apply, and that includes UK and EU countries. And if so, that, that'll determine jurisdiction. So, and the, so the courts um, across the EU will respect that exclusive jurisdiction clause. 
if you don't have an exclusive jurisdiction clause, then it's not so clear cut and, and you can have a risk of parallel proceedings. So where with claims being pursued in, in more than one country at the same time, and, and that can obviously um, create complications. Um, it's also worth noting that, that the government's consulting on acceding to the 2019 Hague Convention on Recognition and, and recognition and Enforcement of Foreign Judgment. Um, and if we join that, and I think it's likely that, that we probably will, um, then it'll allow easier enforcement in other signatory nations, which includes the EU, um, where the parties have agreed a non-exclusive jurisdiction clause. But it, it could be a while before we join that, so it's not uh, it's not imminent. Um, but if it's an international agreement, then I think think arbitration. Understood. Um, it's, it really is a bit of a, uh, when you're doing standard terms, it is quite tricky actually, because those standard terms may apply across multiple um, countries because you may be dealing with multiple different parties. So it's very tricky these days when doing standard terms, I'll be honest. Hmm. Um, so my next, my penultimate one for you, if contracting parties are based in multi-jurisdictions, so across the world, what would you advise? Arbitration. Arbitration. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. And, and last but by no means least, because um, we're running slightly over here, um, what is the position where a commercial relationship, and we see this often in complex arrangements, is governed by a number of agreements, and they each have their own jurisdiction clause and they have, uh, as I have seen, you know, the potential to conflict with each other. What, what happens there? Yeah, so it's, it's obviously not an ideal situation if you've got those conflicting uh, contractual terms. And the courts in the UK um, attempt to address this problem by, by taking a bit of a common sense approach and assume that sensible business people wouldn't have intended their disputes to be mm. um, the subject of inconsistent jurisdiction clauses. So they make a presum presumption that each jurisdiction clause deals with its own its own thing and they don't overlap. But you know, it may be that the language and surrounding circumstances of the agreement make it clear that a dispute falls within both clauses. Um, and so either one applies. So they try and sort of cut through it to get a pragmatic solution but you know parties who are in dispute could spend a lot of resources in in having an argument about that so uh even arguing about where to get to for the argument yeah. exactly yeah. exactly yeah yeah so um it's uh it's one to to look out for and one to a way of avoiding expensive litigation if you can is to is to marry up your jurisdiction clauses where at all possible Yes, I completely agree on that, actually. And and it is quite easy, isn't it, when you're in a multi-party arrangement and you've got different agreements elsewhere that they may all be interdependent, but actually you may find that the French lawyers have drafted it one way, the German lawyers another way, and the Swiss another, and, and the UK another. So uh, it really is one to look out for. Well... Jurisdiction in a canter. Thank you both James and Catherine for uh, your highlights and your Q&A on jurisdiction. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear any of our other podcasts, they're available on the SMB website. I'm Beverly Flynn, Head of Commercial and IT at Stevenson Bolton. You've been listening to our podcast. Thanks for listening.